0: In the realm of tragic and traumatizing stories, among the most horrifying tales known to mankind, the kind of experiences that break through the limits of what we used to think was possible and introduce into our world a new brand of evil from supernatural origins, there's the story of the Debuch Box. To any soul familiar with stories of possession, hauntings, and evil presences taking over the lives of poor, vulnerable victims of our world, the story of the Dybbuk Box presents a -a one-of-a-kind case. Almost anybody could point out classic characteristics in these types of stories, and it can be easy to make up silly little stories about a ghost in someone's attic scaring a traditional family. But this is nothing like that. There is nothing in the history books that resembles the kind of terror provided by the Dibbug Box. We are discussing a truly historic event, an extraordinary case in the subject matter of supernatural terrors. The story of the Dibbug Box, which spans over years, decades, cities, and entirely different continents, is unlike anything else out there. This study, very much like the box at the centre of it, once opened, can't be ignored, forgotten, and easily sealed away. The very beginnings of the dibber box are obscured and kept under wraps to protect the minds and souls of anyone that could unwillingly catch a snippet of this frightening tale. Only methodic research and desperate desire to understand and banish this cursed object will reveal its true origins. Before that can be achieved, however... The Dybbuk box would find a long trail of victims to terrorise. Victims whose stories are found right here. Everything begins in a humble but eccentric shop in downtown Portland, where Kevin Mannis works selling a wide array of objects, trinkets, eccentricities, furniture, and everything in between. To maintain his shop thriving and well-supplied, Kevin often attended auctions and yard sales and any kind of event that sold objects that could classify as antiques. On this occasion, Kevin found himself in the front yard of an old house where the family was selling a wide collection of things that belonged to their recently deceased grandmother, who happened to be a Holocaust survivor. One particular trunk of content caught Kevin's eye and he successfully won the bid for it, This way he acquired the trunk, a sewing box, little things that would fit right in his store, and an odd small wine cabinet. This last one object really captured Kevin's attention. He took the time to take a closer look at it, standing on the house's front lawn, when an unfamiliar voice pulled him out of his thoughts. The Dybbuk box, someone said. When Kevin turned around, he realised it was a young woman, around her thirties, and the granddaughter of the old lady that had passed away. She had startled him, but he couldn't be sure if it was her sudden presence or the words she said. All he knew is that he felt a chill run down him, a cold that might not leave him for years and years. He inquired about the box, and the woman insisted. It's the Dybbuk box, she said, and explained it belonged to her grandmother, who used to tell them that the box should never be opened. On top of that, the woman used to wince and frown every time the box was mentioned at all. She would hold her hand in front of her face and spit three times between her fingers in a movement that was most likely a way to ward off evil. Kevin tried to focus on the story, on the woman, on his surroundings, but his mind was stuck on the name of the box. He was Jewish. Of course he had heard those words before. Dibbuk. It was the name of a malevolent spirit that possessed his victims. It was quite an unsettling thought, but Kevin remembered the way it was used to scare off little kids. The old saying, don't do that or the Dibbuk will come for you. That was enough to shove his worries to the back of his mind. Kevin made his way back to his shop, content to add these new items to the collection, and hoped that they would sell well. Once in his shop, Kevin went to take a closer look at the Dybbuk box. First, he had to deal with a small lock at the front of the box. He carefully took it off without much problem. But that was as far as he got without surprises, He had sealed his fate. In the blink of an eye, everything would change for him. Before he could even try to open the box, he was staring directly at it, and then the two little doors opened up in front of him. It took his breath away, but he tried to shake off the feeling. It would be unusual for such a small and unremarkable box to have that kind of mechanism that could seamlessly push open the doors without a touch but he had to ignore it. He couldn't waste time letting his mind get carried away. Next, Kevin studied the contents of the box. It looked like it was meant to be a wine cabinet, but inside, a collection of oddities that didn't make much sense. There were a handful of pennies from 1920, a candlestick and a small wine goblet, and Strangest of all, there was a small statue, or a small square piece of stone or granite with a word in Hebrew on it. It was strange, surely, but Kevin could get over it. He could convince himself it was just a collection of things that the old woman kept throughout her life for emotional reasons. There was no need to think more about it. Fate, of course would soon prove Kevin wrong. He let down his guard. He let himself forget about the divot box abandoned in a desk in the basement of his shop. He left the shop again to go look for new items to buy to add to his supply. The shop was left in charge of a young woman named Jane, who Kevin completely trusted with the shop. She was reliable, responsible and serious. That was why the next events would completely shake Kevin's confidence in his perception of the world. Unknowingly to Kevin, almost as soon as he left the shop, things took a turn for the sinister. Jane was working in the basement of the shop, cleaning and organising, but she was soon made aware of a change in the atmosphere surrounding her. She felt like something or someone was watching her, It was the strangest thing. Something she had never experienced before. She couldn't shake the feeling of cold, lifeless eyes following her every movement. Then, something changed. She received a call from a friend, and, while she was distracted, she noticed the lights started to flicker. All over the basement, the lights turned off and on again, slowly, and then faster and faster. At first, Jane just frowned, confused. But whatever explanation she could have thought of was quickly discarded. Things continued to change. First, there was a crash. The loud shrill of glass breaking. Jane ended her call quickly and started moving, searching What could have possibly caused that sound? But it wasn't over. It happened again, one glass after another, one crash after another. There was a chair falling, small objects flying from the shelves, steady, unstoppable, all while the lights continued to flicker all around her. But there was absolutely no explanation. Jane walked all around and confirmed she was completely alone. She couldn't take it. She couldn't understand it. With her heart racing and her hands shaking, she picked up the phone again and called Kevin, desperately begging him to answer his phone. It took some time, but Kevin finally picked up the phone. He was instantly shocked. He had never heard Jane sound even as half as nervous as she sounded at that moment. He could barely understand what she was saying. Did someone break into the stall? Is someone breaking things with a baseball bat? A short circuit? Either way, it was an emergency. It was enough to bring that sensible, strong woman to tears. Suddenly, Kevin's phone died. On both ends of the line, they jumped into action. Kevin turned around in the middle of the road to return to the store as soon as possible, imagining that a robber could be threatening not just his property, but Jane's safety. Meanwhile, Jane's nerves were destroyed. It was unbearable. The lights went out, the contents of the shelves continued to fall. And when she tried to escape, she found the door of the basement locked which simply didn't make sense since she was all alone in the basement. Jane screamed as loud as she could, but there was no escape and no explanation at all. Finally, mercifully, Kevin arrived at the store. He was nervous and he walked carefully toward the basement, where he noticed the first bad sign. The door of the basement was locked, with Jane still inside which should have been impossible since nobody else had been in the store. After unlocking the door, he entered the basement, and he was greeted by one surprise after the other. The entire room was in the dark, and he was forced to pull out a flashlight, which helped him realise that the floor of the basement was covered in shards of glass. It was the strangest thing, but then he realised it was all the light bulb which must have exploded because of some short circuit, or so he thought. He then got the greatest surprise. Jane. She didn't cry, she didn't scream. She appeared right out of the shadows and looked at him with that haunted, terrified, completely changed look on her face, and she told him, Fuck you. That was the last thing she said to him before leaving that store forever. She prioritized her safety, and she knew that something had changed in that shop. It was no longer a safe place. Something terrible had infiltrated Kevin's life. Unfortunately, Kevin had no other option but to blame Jane for the damage to the shop. There was no other reasonable explanation. He failed to realise what exactly had happened. Until it was too late. Just a few days later, it was Kevin's mum's birthday. The sweet old lady visited his shop, and she was surprised with an odd gift from her son. But this was something completely different. She was presented with the Dybbuk box. She didn't know what it was, though. Kevin said it was a wine cabinet, and he left her alone with it for a moment to deal with work. That's when everything got out of control. The old lady sat down on a chair in front of the box, and she studied it carefully. She shuddered, suddenly aware of a feeling as if the box was staring back at her. But then, before she could do or say anything about it, the box's doors opened completely by themselves without a single touch from her it was the most shocking experience of her life and the feeling and awful consequences were immediate the woman shivered attacked by a freezing cold breeze that seemed to come directly from inside the box it was a feeling that she couldn't describe in any other way but pure evil and this evil did more than give her a good scare This evil power was in her already. Her mouth started to sag. Her eye felt completely displaced and her entire body stopped responding to the order from her brain. It was undeniable. She was having a stroke. Kevin and his mother were fortunate that he had found her in time to call an ambulance but in a different way, it was too late. The woman's body didn't react And she couldn't warn her son about the danger she had noticed in the box he tried to give her. She tried her hardest to move at least a finger, but she stood no chance to speak. The best way to speak was with her eyes, and Kevin noticed the absolute immense terror in them. He had never seen anything like that before. It was the sign he needed. Suddenly, Kevin got the final piece of the puzzle things started to fit in. In this chain of bad things happening in his store, there was one common denominator, the Dybbuk box. Kevin had no option but to try to sell it as soon as possible, and for a moment he thought he succeeded. However, shortly after selling the wine cabinet to a young couple, he found it on the front steps of his shop again, with nothing but a note that said, This has a darkness about it. So, it wasn't just him. Everyone could notice the evil presence attached to that wooden box. Kevin found he had no option but to get rid of that box forcefully. He found an old shed where he could lock it away and forget about it. But, as he would soon realise, it wasn't enough. The very same night that he tried to get rid of the box, he started having the most terrible nightmares. They happened almost every single night, and almost all of them were exactly the same. Every night, he found himself walking side by side with a person he knew and trusted. Then, out of nowhere, this person's face transformed. They became an old, awful hag. An evil witch, more creature than woman, that instantly started to beat him up until he woke up crying. But, as if that wasn't enough, soon enough, Kevin realised he was waking up with his body covered in bruises. It was unreasonable. It should have been impossible. There was no other explanation but to admit that the box's powers were attached to him and he needed it as far away from him as possible. Kevin opted to put the box on eBay to sell it, but he knew it was only fair to disclose all the information he had about the box and its possible curse. Kevin hoped the right person would find it, and although there was a buyer, this would only mean more victims for the Dibbuck box. The buyers were in Missouri. It was 2003 and in a small apartment lived a group of young men. They were the kind of guys that, when they came across a strange and fascinating object on eBay, they would buy it just for fun. 7,500 people saw the listing, but the unlucky winner was Sam, and the number one witness of this unwise decision was Brian. A few days later, Brian came home and he was cruelly greeted by a terrible stench. The entire house smelled of urine. He was overcome by nausea, but he pushed through the apartment. A few steps later, he noticed a terrible mess on the floor paper scattered and a torn cardboard box. The final and worse surprise was waiting for him in the kitchen. There, On the table was the damned Dibbock box. It was a chilling sight, and he swore he'd never forget it. Behind the box, Sam finally appeared, curious and playful and excited to find out what this new addition to their home was. Right away, Sam started recording his experiences with the Dibbock box in an online blog. At first, there were no nightmares or bad feelings or anything at all and he was almost disappointed it was a feeling he would immediately regret sam and his friends started showing off the dibber box at parties they thought it was a great source of entertainment to say the box was haunted to earn gasps and whispers from their friends and to play tricks on girls by shoving their hands unexpectedly into it but finally They would have to pay the price for their pride and recklessness. Things in the small apartment started to change. At first it was something small, like electronics acting up. But soon it escalated into something that felt genuinely unfair. One day it was a toaster causing a small explosion in the kitchen, and the next day it was the light bulbs in the house spontaneously exploding, This was soon followed by Sam's laptop crashing due to a critical failure and the same problem was later accompanied by their video game consoles, their watches and even their television. The problem was that they couldn't blame this on a short circuit or go as far as thinking about magnetic fields. Soon, the living and breathing beings of the apartment got just as affected. Brian arrived home one day just to receive one shock after another. He ran into one of his roommates in the hallway, and he was horrified to see him eye to eye. His friend had the most aggressively bloodshot eyes Brian had ever seen. Not something normal caused by a sleepless night or hangover. This couldn't be natural. As if that wasn't enough, when Brian reached the living room, he was greeted by a nearly apocalyptic sight. The top of the Dibbuk box was entirely covered by a thick layer of disgusting little bugs. Worse than that, the bugs were fluttering in the air above it and making a gross trail to the window, where they were gathered like an infection on the foundations of the building. Sam wasn't exempt from these terrors, but quite the opposite. He turned reclusive. And, just as he narrated in his blog, his health had taken a hit. He felt like he was seeing things out of the corner of his eyes. He felt as observed as a young woman once felt in the cursed basement of a shop in a different city a few months ago. Soon, his hair started falling out. It went from barely noticeable to entire chunks of hair missing from his scalp. It could have been just stress, but Sam had given up pretty much anything else in his life except for the Dybbuk box. Nobody in that house felt safe. They were genuinely terrified that something terrible would happen to Sam any day now. So, it was settled. They had to get rid of the Dybbuk box. The infamous wine cabinet returned to eBay, but this time something was different. There were people that had been religiously following the updates in Sam's blog to keep up with the terrible dibbuk box. In this audience was a member of the Truman State University from the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine. His name was Jason Haxton, and he had a particular interest in this item. Jason wanted to somehow rationalise the dibbuk box. He wanted to understand it, to explain its effects using science and to cancel the claims that it could possibly be haunted. So he participated in a new bid for the box. It wasn't easy. He ended up paying far more than he initially expected. But, finally, the damned box was his. The roommates from Missouri were relieved, and Jason should have been anything but. When the box arrived, Jason was unfortunate to share an eerie night with it. There was no company in the building. There was only minimal lighting. And if something went wrong, he would be completely vulnerable to the evil powers contained in that small vessel. However, at first, absolutely nothing happened. Jason wore gloves to protect himself from possible infections that, he guessed the real reasons behind the strange things that previous owners of the box claimed to experience. He turned on the black light and discovered traces of wax on the surface of the box. That was enough to make him believe the wine cabinet could have been used in the past for ritualistic purposes. This unsettled him, but he continued with the work. When Jason opened the Dybbuk box for the very first time, He expected something catastrophic to happen straight away. But he was proved wrong. Nothing happened at all. He accepted the old wine cabinet as nothing more than a historical piece, and tried to forget about it. But the Dybbuk box would soon prove to him and everyone around that it was more than anyone could imagine. Within days, the effects of the Dippuk box spread like a virus around the museum and Jason's life. It started with a computer crashing, causing the loss of valuable work. It evolved into flickering lights and exploding light bulbs, always close to the box's location. Then, finally, Jason's co-workers were affected... At first, they only showed up at work usually tired and drained of life and energy. But as soon as they started getting genuinely sick, Jason understood he had to do something about this dire situation. The Dybbuk Box became an unwelcome guest. Unfortunately, Jason had no option but to take the source of the terror back home with him. This could have been the gravest mistake of his life. Since that very first day, his life was transformed. He spent a completely restless night, plagued by nightmares, and every time he woke up startled and went back to sleep, the nightmare resumed. The worst part? It was more than a nightmare. In the dream, Jason was forced to face a terrible, appalling old woman, covered in injuries and ugly in a way he had never seen before, And this woman viciously attacked him, again and again, until mercifully, the sun rose, and Jason with it. He moved to the bathroom, and he very nearly started crying and screaming at what his reflection showed him. His own face was transformed. His eyes were red in a way he couldn't understand. They were much worse than bloodshot. They looked inhuman. His wife was frightened, and Jason couldn't help but remember all the things he'd read in the blog about the Dybbuk box. But something worse than anything else so far marked a turn in the story. This time, the terrors of the Dybbuk box went too far. One night, Jason was sitting in the living room of his house, watching television with his young son and he suddenly heard the boy's little frail voice ask him, Dad, what is that? Jason turned his head right in time to see a wave of thick smoke, something more like a dark flame licking up the walls of his home. He cursed, he screamed, he pulled his son to his chest and held him tightly, protectively, trying to shield him from this horror. The smoke rose It filled the room. It threatened to drown them, to drag them down to the pits of whatever hell it came from. And then it was over. Jason admitted that he couldn't keep risking his family's life. There was no scientific explanation for the box. There was absolutely no reason to keep it with him. He had to get rid of it. If it just so happened that he had unwillingly released something evil from it, then he had to seal it away, putting it away as far from his family as possible. So, Jason made his way to an old and abandoned property with the box. He sneaked down to the basement. He found the perfect spot. And he did his best to hide, block, conceal and trap that cursed cabinet. When Jason returned home to his wife, he felt light already. He was hopeful. He felt free, and like he just needed to wash himself from the disgusting touch of the Dibbuck box. While his wife worked on laundry, he locked himself in the bathroom and jumped into a hot bath that he hoped would wash away the pain and fear that he experienced for weeks on end. However, he shouldn't have been so naive. Halfway through his bath, Jason was attacked by a really odd, painful pressure in his stomach. It was the most uncomfortable feeling of his life. It felt like there was something crawling its way through his body, trying to burst out of his chest, slithering up his throat, taking over his body. Jason stumbled out of the bath just in time to start heaving, to surrender himself to the nausea and the lightheadedness and the pain. Finally, he started throwing up, but not like ever before, not like something he'd ever seen from a person. No, the most disgusting, horrifying and shocking thing came out of him. It was a lump of grey mucus that he couldn't, for the life of him, even begin to explain. Jason was still trying to understand and trying not to feel terrified of his own body when his wife started frantically knocking on the bathroom door. She was crying something about poison ivy and allergic reactions and laundry soap and more things that didn't make sense because she had never experienced anything close to that in her life. When Jason opened the bathroom door, He understood. His wife showed him her hand, and both of them gasped at the sight. His wife's hand was almost entirely covered in angry red blisters that broke open and bled freely, and were almost as gross as they were painful. That was it. Jason couldn't keep going. Any longer in that goddamn box would kill him or his loved ones. He had to do something about it. And quickly. In a completely different city, a phone rang and rang for a long time, until Kevin Manis abruptly picked it up just to immediately end the call. Jason tried again. This time, Kevin, the antique shop owner that first acquired the dibbuk box from the garage sale, picked up the phone. Please, Jason begged for himself and his family. Please, just talk to me about this. Kevin knew exactly what he was talking about. It was the Dybbuk box. As much as Kevin wished to leave this chapter of his life closed, he knew in his heart that the right thing was to try and help the new victims of the Dybbuk box. So, he returned to the scene of the crime, to the very first house, to the location where he foolishly paid for the box, that very nearly ruined his life. At first, the young woman he met that day immediately turned him away. But just as he was going down the driveway back to his car, he heard a different voice say, It's the Divock Box, isn't it? He was almost scared to turn back, almost expecting the deceased grandmother or any other kind of apparition to assault him right there and then. However, When he found the courage to return to the doorstep of the house, he met the cousin of the old lady that died, and she offered all the explanations that Kevin, Sam, Brian, and Jason had been waiting for. This helpful old lady explained that she used to live in Poland with her cousin, and back then, when they were young women, it was sort of common to perform seances as a form of entertainment. But, of course, there was a great risk of something like this ending up terribly wrong. The woman explained the process of holding up a necklace like a pendulum, above a piece of fabric with letters painted on it to communicate with the dead. Until the night they were suddenly attacked by an evil spirit, something they weren't prepared to deal with, something that refused to leave them alone. Through the chaos, the pain and suffering, the group of women that had gathered to face a demonic spirit, against all odds, managed to trap it in a box. The Dipper box. Since its conception, that group of women had vowed to keep that cursed cabinet locked forever, and after a moment of distraction, the box fell into Kevin's naive hands. After he opened the box, he released a malevolent entity that tortured the lives of every person that came close to it. Fortunately, this piece of knowledge was the very last piece of the puzzle and exactly what they needed to put an end to this story. Jason Haxton immediately contacted a rabbi, a man that was able to provide counselling on how best to seal the dibbuk box, to trap the evil spirit inside it, and to destroy the link that tied every victim to it. It was a long, arduous, terrifying process, but it was finally done. It's been nearly twenty years since the Dybbuk box has been sealed, and there haven't been any new reports so far that could be traced back to that particular brand of haunt. But, never say never, Jason claims that he will never, ever try to sell the Dibbo box. It's the best way he has to keep it safe and hidden away. The only question left is, how long can this cursed object stay hidden? This story was written by Danny Rahel Nieto and narrated by me, James Devrell. Thank you for listening to this story. If you enjoyed my storytelling, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more Tales of High Strangeness. I started this podcast off the back of my YouTube channel by the same name, which formerly went by Mr. Sinister. You can check out my older stories, which are still available on that channel. For short-form content, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook via the handle at Tales of High Strangeness. For exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, plus more, check out my Patreon account. If you, or anyone else you know, has a story about anything related to high strangeness, please reach out to me with a brief description to stories at daredevil.com. I don't need you to write the whole story, so you don't need to worry about being an English major. We'll be doing all the writing. You'll just need to be willing to jump on a call with me so we can have a chat and I can get the whole story.